So everybody, welcome to, I think, maybe the first official week of the summer. Last week, uh, it probably was, but the reason why I say that is because we had an amazing picnic. And how many of you are here for the picnic that were here? Many of you? We want to say a special thanks to Dan, to Brendan here. They were the pit masters. I don't know if you knew that, but last week, if you were not here, if you were here, you knew we had to do the picnic in the gym. That was, that was, plan, that was uh, plan B, okay? So the plan A was to go to the park, but plan B was to stay here. But we wanted to make sure that we were giving you the best hamburgers and hot dogs you could possibly have, which means it was charcoal, which these guys put a tent over their heads. And I don't know if you knew that or not, it was like 150 degrees under that tent. Anyway, massive sacrifice. I just want to say thank you to, those, to, uh, to you guys uh, for doing that. Thanks a lot. Um, it's always good to have community, isn't it? So in the summer, uh, we've already said that uh, we're going to do a few things a little bit different this summer, but we have a few special guests that are going to be coming and speaking, uh, giving Dave a bit of a break. I guess I'm special guest number one. Is that right? We'll see what happens. So we're titling, uh, we're giving everybody the opportunity to speak on what God has been speaking to them about, or this idea of here's what I'm thinking. And so today, you get to hear what I'm thinking, and what I'm thinking about comes from... um, It goes back a little bit, and to give you a bit of context, on Good Friday of this year, we did, uh, we had a a communion time, and we had the cross that was set up right here, and everybody was given the opportunity to come forward and to nail or pin something to the cross. And uh, we have a word word cloud uh, that gave a little bit of a perspective. So if you were not here, this is what some of the people uh, pinned on that word cloud. And if you know what a word cloud a little bit, if you know how this works a little bit, is that the more people that put the same thing, when you do this cloud, the word gets bigger on that cloud. And so... I was reading through this, and Dave and I were going over this and just realizing, you know, where, the peop- where our people are at. And what jumped out to me was how many people mentioned the word doubt. They mentioned this word doubt. And so I just want to say, all of you people who put that on the cross, thank you. That's exactly who I am. I thought I was like the biggest doubter ever. Because doubt has been so much part of my life. And so I want to give you a little bit of a quick, uh, hopefully this is a bit quick, of, a, bit, a bit about my story, but also hopefully you do not feel alone in that. So doubt, this idea of doubt and belief, uh, we actually don't talk about it very much. We don't acknowledge it in the church that often, but it's something that many of us really, really, really struggle with. And I think that maybe some of you who put that on the cross, or maybe it's some of you who do doubt, but you didn't put it on the cross, uh, you still recognize this as like, some of us view doubt as actually something that can really harm us, and it can really harm somebody's faith journey. So um, if you were like me, I grew up in a bit of a, a, of a church background where there was, um, there was actually little space for doubt. There was little space for questioning. There was actually little space for any type of skepticism at all. And so what it looked like was kind of this illustration, is that faith was all about belief. And it was all about having this idea of complete certainty. So we are not left, I was not honestly left at all, as even a teenager, to know what I would do with my doubts. Um, And in pursuit of that idea of absolute certainty, uh, it just seemed impossible to find this, this idea of trying to find this impossible, this, this absolute certainty, I just couldn't find it at all. So if you're like me, you're like, should I just give up? 
Or should I just live with this idea of just being disillusioned? Or is it time just to run away? So I found this spectrum, and I don't know who to give it to, but it's not, I did not do this spectrum. This is something I found a few years ago when I was uh, teaching at a, at, at a college in, in um, teaching youth ministry at a college in Kitchener. And that's called the spectrum of belief or disbelief. And I'm just wondering if you take a look at that, where you fit into this. Because realistically speaking, what we have is we have some of us just are in categories where we just disbelieve anything, especially about faith. We just disbelieve anything. On the other hand, I don't know if you have run into these people or not, but these are actually people that somewhere on this spectrum of belief are on the opposite side of this. And they actually are in this place where they believe everything. Like there's absolutely no place for unbelief at all. Well, that's not me at all. I find myself completely in this doubt, belief, where do I fit? And here I am like almost 50 years after saying yes to Jesus and, and accepting him as my savior, probably not a lot different than I was when I was 16 years old at all. There are many times when doubt, doubt does come in. But all of us are somewhere on the spectrum. All of us find ourselves somewhere. And if the opposite of disbelief is absolute certainty, then where in the world is there room for faith? See, the Bible doesn't condemn people that have doubt at all. In fact, the Bible highlights people, and many of us call them heroes, because they've re, re, they have actually had a place of greatness in the Bible because they actually had doubt. Uh, the Bible's full of doubting people. Many times, these people, they earned their title because of their beliefs and doubt. Uh, here's a few of them. Abraham and Sarah, they doubted God's promise of a child. They actually laughed at God for mentioning it. Job, the entire story of Job is he doubted God's goodness. Moses doubted God could use him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Gideon, he doubted God he could use him to turn the tide against the Israel oppressors. The nation of Israel entirety seemed to be in, con in a constant state of doubt in their journey. And then Thomas, if you are someone who's maybe been grown up in church, you think of doubt, you think of him immediately. But Thomas, the doubting Thomas, he was Jesus' disciple. He doubted that Jesus actually rose from the dead. So it actually seems that God has more of an understanding of what doubt is than churches do. <laughs> so maybe it's time that we stop denying these fears of doubt so we actually express them. So what we're going to do today, I'm going to read you the entire book of Jonah. Do you like that? If I said, let's just touch about, the, if we just talked about Jonah, I think you'd all go back to your Sunday school days or your Kid Max days or your whatever you would call your kids, your kids, your kids ministry days and think of just this guy who got swallowed by a fish. But the story is much bigger than that. So let's work with me here. We're going to actually read. This could be your devotions for the entire week. So let's see what we can do. So there's only four chapters, so you're going to be okay. But let's read Jonah. So Jonah chapter 1, it starts like this. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. 
But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which one of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did, it, oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the, storm, the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. Don't hold us responsible for his death. O oh Lord, have... O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and, the, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. I bet you know this story by now. Maybe this is a story that you've heard your entire life, but maybe you don't know this part. Chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and the Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, <clears throat> O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I, will, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was impressed. I was, excuse me, I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates lock shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah onto the beach. <clears throat> Chapter 3. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to that great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the, Lord, the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. 
a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw that they, what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Chapter 4. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? What, that is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And, at, and as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until it grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you, didn't, though you did nothing to pull it, put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for this great city? That's the entire story of Jonah. And if you were hopefully picking up on a little bit, I think that Jonah had a little bit of doubt, didn't he? Here's kind of what I see Jonah's story of doubt, just what we, what we just read. If you kind of map it out a little bit, it looks like this. And by the way, Jonah was actually called a prophet of God. So uh, Jonah had belief. Do you got that? Then he had a bunch of doubt because he ran away. In fact, he didn't just run away. He ran away in the opposite direction. Um, then he obeyed. I'd say he obeyed a little bit reluctantly. Then he disagreed with God. Then he goes back and he delivers a message that God gave him. Then he argues with God. 
And then if you really, really look into the story of him getting this plant over him and the worm, the whole bit, the guy was pouting, basically not getting his own way. Because God changed his mind. Have you ever been like Jonah? Maybe not been swallowed by a fish or maybe had opportunities where you're just like, just in places where God and God is saying something that you're going, this just can't be right. And this whole idea of doubt and disbelief, they come in. Because there's two separate issues. God doesn't actually condemn us for asking questions. We've already talked about Thomas. Jesus didn't condemn Thomas at all for wanting to see the holes in Jesus' hands. Moses wasn't reprimanded for asking why. I mean, think about it. The journey took 40 years. <laughs> Abraham and Sarah, they still received God's promise despite lack, lacking in doubt. Doubt actually isn't the opposite of faith. It's actually part of it. I was just thinking about my, my own life, and I was just thinking, okay, what can I share with you to let you understand that I literally feel like I had, I feel like I'm this, this, this person who's just wired for doubt, wired for skepticism. I grew up in this um, evangelical Bible-believing church. I think it was probably fairly rigid by some standards, but I didn't feel safe to ask some of the real big questions. You know the questions. Don't you guys have all these same questions? Um, like, if God is love, why does he allow so much evil? You ask that question, right? Why is Jesus the only way to heaven? Can a, per- why, why, can a person actually lose their salvation or not? Why are Christians so judgmental and do such bad things? You thought about these? How about this one? Is the Bible actually true and reliable? I was seriously not in a church that I could ask that question at all. And then the one, I shared a bit of my story a few weeks ago, but probably one is that my dad... Um, was very much outside, even though my dad was still in our family. My dad was very sick with mental illness and very often was not part of our family dynamic much at all. My mom was not just the breadwinner. She was the person in our family that, in my opinion, was my hero. Yet the Bible was saying, why do women get treated so unfairly in the Bible? And I remember these questions. And so this underlying doubt was creeping up in me, and I was getting to the end of high school. I wasn't sure what I was going to do at the end of high school. Pretty much all my friends, maybe you guys are similar. Um, They're all going to university. I did not feel called to go to university. I remember talking to my mom about it. My mom says, well, have you ever talked to a guidance counselor? So I went and talked to a guidance counselor. Maybe some of you can relate with this. Okay, go to talk to a guidance counselor. Um, When you don't know what you want to do with your life, and apparently you're fairly smart, so you had decent grades, and you go to a guidance counselor, what does your guidance counselor tell you to study in university? Kinesiology. <laughs> Sorry, but kinesiology was it. And I didn't even know what that was. So I looked into it a little bit, this is before the internet, talked to a few people, and I'm thinking, none of you guys even want to go to be in kinesiology, you want to just go to university. But anyway, I decided not to go to university, so I worked for a couple of years. And then while I was working for a couple of years in a landscape company, had an amazing time, I was still knowing that there's something that's missing. There's something missing. And I didn't know where to take my doubts. So um, I decided to go to Bible college. That's where all good people who don't know what they want to do go, right? (laughs) 
joking. I remember um, a little story. I, I, was, I was doubting whether I should go, but it was like, okay, at least I think I'm going to get my questions answered, because it wasn't happening at church at all. It just wasn't safe. And um, but I was quite excited to go. So I went to a, a Bible college in the United States. I went to a Bible college in Chicago. And uh, in this, I had a 19, oh, there's my map, yeah. So I had a 1972 Toyota Celica. By the way, my first car ever, still the best one I've ever had. 1972 Toyota Celica. I used to have a ton of carburetor trouble, but you know what? Got it fixed, started the drive, packed the car full of whatever my possessions were, and I went uh, on my drive from Toronto to Chicago, but the car broke down. Car broke down in probably just outside of, I think, Kalamazoo, Michigan. I think so. It was in that area. And you know what? In my car, totally saying, Lord, if the whole trip was, Lord, you want me to go to Bible college? You want, this is the direction we're going? I just really felt as if, okay, Lord, I'm with you. Let's go. I'm just going to go. And car breaks down, breaks down over the side of the road. Actually, something was sputtering, broke down the side of the road. I got it started, and somewhere in one of those hills got through, and it coasted into this garage, like this little garage. <clears throat> so I put it there, and it wasn't, there was no service centers back then the way that we have it today. Man, am I aging myself. But anyway, part of it was I get into this place, the mechanic says, we will not be able to fix your car for at least a week. So now I'm in Kalamazoo, Michigan. There's no cell phones. Basically, what happens is I go and grab my backpack, <clears throat> look up the road, and I've never hitchhiked in my life, but I'm like, I gotta hitchhike. I gotta figure out a way to get to the school. So um, some of you have heard this story before. Walked up, got onto the overpass, stuck my thumb out, probably, I don't know, within 10 minutes, a car comes by, and he gets in front. So in my head the entire time it was, Lord, you want me to go to Bible college? I'm not afraid. Just going to jump in the car. Because if you're there, this is like my doubts were still part of it, but it's like, okay, Lord, you're going to show me what's happening here. So I get in the car, meet this young guy. He's a great guy, just talkative. And here's the crazy thing about it, is that the entire back seat of the car was filled with apples. Like not baskets of apples. The apples were like dumped in the entire backseat of the car. And this guy would eat apples and just chuck them out the, the highway. And so here we are, and uh, I told him the address of where I was going, and he said that he could take me close by or something, so we, we, we drove. So, so he, took me to this, he, he took me to this house that I was going to meet somebody at, and he went there, and literally I turned around after this drive to say thank you. No, no I got in, I had an apple, that's right, he brought me some apples, so whatever, got up to the car, knocked on the door, put my, the, what I, whatever I had down, turned around, and there's no car. Like, there's no car at all. Now, you need to understand, I am the biggest skeptic, the biggest doubter, the person who would go, there's zero way that angels exist. Does that make sense? And I'm going, okay, like I walked down the street, looked both ways, there's no way. There's no way, this guy's car was loud too. There's, that's the other thing, it had muffler issues because it was like the windows were down, we're eating apples, he's talking. I can't really understand what he's saying. I'm being a good Canadian, yeah, you know, so the whole time, but whatever, so. So this is what happens. 
And I'm telling you this story because my doubts drove me to school, but even on the way to school, I felt like God was completely involved in that journey. So then you get to school, I won't go through all of that, but I'm telling you something, the questions that I had led me to where I'm at today. So look where these doubts have gotten me. I've been 40 years in ministry, and still, I think, just to the same extent, the same kind of doubter that I was before. Have you ever heard of a guy named Rob Bell? He's a speaker. He was a pastor. Uh, he, he has a quote, and it says this. Take faith, for example. For many people in our world, the opposite of faith is doubt. The goal then within this understanding is to eliminate doubt, but faith and doubt aren't opposites. Doubt is often a sign when your faith has a pulse, that it's alive and well and exploring and searching. Faith and doubt aren't opposites. They are, it turns out, excellent dance partners. So have you experienced doubt? Doubt isn't the opposite of faith, is it? It's actually a part of it. I think doubt is more the idea that God, excuse me, I think that God is so interested in our hearts that he wants a genuine relationship with us. And so sometimes what's going on inside of us is a wrestling match of faith and doubt. If I had a tattoo, I don't. But if I did, it would say, God is not afraid of my doubts. God is not afraid of my doubts. We cannot hide from God, and that's not what he wants. He, we shouldn't be afraid to bring our doubts to God. He's not wanting to condemn us for our lack of faith. He wants to restore and redeem us but that can only happen when we have hearts that are open to him. So here's what I'd love for you to, 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 to ask yourselves. Is it possible that we embrace that our doubt actually becomes something that helps us grow in our faith? Um, some of us are brand new to faith. Some of us have not known Jesus a very long time at all. And the odds are that at the very beginning... Uh, that you have a lot of questions, inquiries, uh, and inquiries about your doubts. In Matthew chapter 17, it actually says that faith can be like a mustard seed. So you can actually come to Jesus and have a whole pile of doubts and little belief, and that's okay. That's exactly where a journey starts. The smallest amount of belief is faith. Then over time, Maybe, hopefully, you will grow, maybe have a few less questions, but now the people in church become the issue, not God. <laughs> it can actually lead to a more determined commitment of your Christian life and your faith and just more devoted faith in Jesus. So the truth be told, a growing faith will always have a healthy amount of doubt that's included. I don't know where you're at, because maybe this isn't a message that I only need to speak and you're not there. Maybe you have certainty and you didn't know that. But all I know is this, is that if in fact we want to have a, have a relationship with God and people have lots of questions, we will invite those questions. And I think each one of us really needs to understand that all of us grow very differently. Dave's going to come up and he's going to be leading and doing a portion of our service. So I just have a couple takeaways before we end the service, and it's this. Here's three takeaways. Now, first one is, even the disciples doubted. 
this is probably the verse that changed my life in terms of making me feel somewhat normal about my doubts. About carrying the guilt of doubt, you are not alone. Here's what it says, even in the Great Commission, in Matthew chapter 7, it says this. When the 11 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Just before they were given the great commission, that is to go out and make disciples, it says in verse 17, they worshipped him, but some doubted. The disciples doubted. I don't know. When I read that for the first time, it just jumped off the page and went, what? After spending three years with Jesus, after everything that they went through, after seeing him die on a cross, they still doubted. There's something about doubt that we can actually, that actually helps and motivates us positively in our faith journey. Takeaway number two, doubting is not sin. I firmly believe that doubt is just a natural and necessary part of a growing faith. This is a huge topic, so I'm just touching on it right now. But this idea of doubting being sin, and if that's how you grew up, it is not sin. And then the third takeaway would be this, is that God can use our doubts to enrich our faith. I'll even go a step further. If you are experiencing doubt in your faith, do you know what I think it means? I think it means you care about your faith. It means you care about something so much that you'd actually doubt it. The problem is when we don't care. That's the issue. And you're likely, if you have doubts, at a breakthrough point to grow deeper in your faith journey. Those are just some quick thoughts of mine. Um, We're going to sing a song, and then Dave, you're going to come up. So let me pray as the band comes back on the stage. Father, I just thank you for creating each one of us to be exactly the people that you wanted us to be. And Father, I thank you that each one of us in our journey with you has a, has a slightly different path. And many of us um, have these doubts and these, these questions that have come into our minds. And sometimes we're, we've been taught that these things are wrong. And Father, I just pray that you will help each one of us understand that this idea of doubting is actually a pathway to you and it's not an obstacle. Lord, I just pray that um, we know that you don't mind our doubts, but we pray that as the church and as people, that we do not stand in the way of helping people find uh, just, just whatever it is that they need to search out, Father, that we will help them find you through that and that we will not get in their way. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you want us to have a faith, but a faith that's growing and a faith where we can love others as much as you have loved them. So Father, help us do that. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life, for his example to each one of us, and especially for his love for each one of us. In his name we pray, amen.